was like, yeah, I want that. And then you can, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. He just says, I want to do something in your life. I have a purpose for you that's so much greater than you. Because here's the deal. And man, I mean, this is the truest thing. This is just so true. If, if your goal, if your pursuit in life is to seek everything you think is going to bring fulfillment, and you're going to look and say, I, you know, I've done it, purpose and meaning and value, and all these things are wrapped up in what I've accomplished and what I've done, you will never, ever get to that place where it's enough. Never. You will, you will radically pursue things that will never fulfill you, as true as I'm standing here. And so your best, your best, you, you plan it. Somebody says, I'll give you a billion dollars, craft your life, whatever it is. That can't compare. And it's nowhere near as fulfilling as your life would look if you said, you know what, Lord, I'm here. Use me. God doesn't do his things with great people. He does great things with his people. And his people are those people who say, Yahweh, Yahweh will. God will take us to the promised land. That's the promise, eternity with him. But are we submitted to his yoke because he never promises the path will be easy and he never promises the path will be comfortable, never promises the path will be safe. You know, where, as, as I've shared in our family with COVID and everything, we've been kind of going through all these different series, you know, the Indiana Jones series and all these different things. And so we watched last night, we watched Prince Caspian, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. And so it reminded me of a quote, not from that, but from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. And it says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, what we want is safety and comfort. And what Jesus wants is just hearts surrendered to him. His presence and his power to fulfill his purpose. And I place conditions. Lord, I'll do this if it looks like this. Lord, how about if I take most of your yoke and you take a little bit of mine? That seems fair. 99.9% submitted to Jesus isn't enough. And I don't mean that, we, that we're walking in perfection. I mean that our desire, that the thing we pursue radically, that if anybody looks at our lives, because you know, you look at some people like, that person is a tennis nut, or that person loves dogs, or whatever it is, whatever it is. That person, man, they go to the gym. That, you know, they radically pursue, that, like that kind of thing, over the top, right? You can be over the top for pretty much anything on the planet, and somebody's going to think it's cool, but you're over the top for Jesus, and now you're... The world, the world has convinced us that a fundamentalist means you believe what the Bible says. But it's not a fundamentalist. I mean, if you, if you associate yourself with anything, you believe, like that's just how that works. I know that we like to use words, so then they have a, they're tied to emotion, and so you can sway people with words without them stopping and thinking and being like, no, you either believe it or you don't. It's nothing fun to, I mean, it's, that's how that works. <laughs> it's either true or it's not true. It's just not kind of true. You're either submitted or you're not submitted. You can't be kind of submitted. You're either following or you're not following. You can't be kind of following. I mean, you can in the sense that you, you, know, you, can, you can slow down in your pursuit of Jesus. You can take detours. And that doesn't mean you're off the path. That doesn't mean you're off the journey. That just means that what's, what you're convinced is, all right, Lord, this is where we're going to get. All right, cool. I'm with you. I'm going to go there too. But I know this shortcut, and so we'll, you know, we'll, I'll come back around. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up with each other. We'll have a coffee, and I'll see you there. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get there quicker than you, but I'm not going to say that to you. We say that's so absurd, but we do that. That's what we do. We figure if we can align ourselves with what he wants, then we can figure out how we're going to go there. And he's like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, 
the year journey I had for you, I'll see you in 10 years. But let me know if you figure out in five and maybe we'll, we'll regroup on my end. That's what we do. That's what we do. And so last week we looked at the Psalms. And we said the Psalms illuminate the greatness of God. They affirm his faithfulness to us. They remind us clearly of the centrality of God's word. That if you believe what the Bible says, you're not a fundamentalist, you're a believer. And they remind us what worship looks like, what true worship looks like. And Psalm 150, the last psalm, says this. A perfect illustration of individuals repentant before him, who will have lives changed because of an encounter with him. Because that's how it works. You, you repent, you come before him, you submit, you surrender, and an encounter with Jesus will change your life. It can't help but change your life. It says, praise the Lord, praise him in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heaven, praise him for his mighty works, praise him for his unequaled greatness, praise him with a blast of the ram's horn, praise him with, praise him with the lyre and the harp, Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes, with a clash of cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let your life, let your worship, let your work, let everything you are, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. And I think that's the way each of us here want to live. I think we have that zeal for life. We want to have gratitude and praise in our hearts. And so if we want the result of our lives to be one of praise, which we said is just another way to say glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the point of our lives. Simply put, to glorify God, to magnify him. That's step one. My life is not about me. It's about magnifying Jesus. And when I do that, the enjoy him forever part, that's just what happens when you pursue the things of God. I don't even have, I don't work on that. I don't look at it and go, well, how am I going to enjoy God? It happens naturally as I pursue him radically. As I try to look at my life in terms of bringing him glory. And so Psalm 1, in a sense, is about the what to do and how to do it. It's practical and it's also a what not to do. It's in some sense a guide against alternative paths. And so I'm going to read it and then we're going to get through it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But that means instead of that, it's an alternative way to live. If you identify with the first part, this hope here, that word is a, is a transition word that, that comes with hope. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You know, if you would have told me when I wasn't a believer, you know, meditate on the word of God or meditate on the Bible day and night, but they're like, first of all, it sounds like work. It sounds like studying. Like, I mean, I love to read, so to me, but, but you know. It's a, there's a different thing that happens when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you understand the riches of the text, when you understand that this has life-giving, nourishing prop, that it's living and active, that it's powerful. That person, the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the one who meditates on his Bible, the fundamentalist who believes this stuff, that person's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. But not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's one thing that the Lord's involved with. He's watching over the way of the righteous. He's guiding the righteous and I think I have it in my notes, but C.S. Lewis said, in the end, God will give everyone over to the thing they most desire. There are those who most desire Jesus, and there are those who most desire a whole bunch of cheap, cheap substitutes, which is always my definition of sin, a cheap substitute for something better God has. And so that's two ways to live. God's going to give you ultimately what you desire most. 
And so the person who has a close walk with God is called blessed. A person who understands by experience that the yoke of Jesus is easy when he is with us. It's not, if, if, if God just told me, hey, this is what I want you to do, but uh, I'm going to check out. You don't have any, any spirit, any power, any presence. Game's over. But he doesn't. After he commands us what to do, go forward, make disciples, baptize them, he says, and I will be with you until the end of the age. It's the most reassuring thing in that text. I think we're really good at focusing on this is what we got to do, this is what we got to do, this is what we got to do, this is how we should do it, this is what it should look like. And then we forget the he will be with you until the end of the age. So we have daily choices to make here. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Seems to me there's two kind of people. Those who get their advice from the wrong sources, those who spend time with the wrong people, and those who hang out in the wrong places, or Brian and Jamie most of their lives. What do you think, dude? I think this. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Oh, okay. How did we get here? Well, we had a dumb idea, and then you said it was a good idea. Oh, yeah, that's right. Dear Lord. And then there are those, the alternatives to the, you know, our best efforts are going to get us wherever. And then there are those instead who delight in God's word, who delight in the presence of God. And we do that, when we do that, a few things happen. First it says, we'll be like a tree. And I love that the word firmly is emphasized. Because, you know, I got, I got, you know, live on a lake. I got some trees. And some of them, you know, I kick them and they fall over. They're not, you know, it might be a tree, but there's not. And some of them, you can't, you know. I, you, this is a tree firmly planted. It's solid. And that means that not only is it solid, but it's connected to a source of life. It's firmly planted next to a source of life. It's John 15. It's abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And that's the next part of this. It says it yields its fruit in its season. That means that God will, not might, God will produce fruit in our lives in his time. Sometimes we don't know if we're reaping or sowing. We don't know if it's the preparation for the harvest. We don't know what's happening. But he does. He's never not known. It's not a surprise. Nothing that's happened to you. COVID, the president, the politics, the... I think God went, I didn't see that one coming. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does prospers. That means he'll, he'll remain active and alive. He'll remain fruitful. That, that word for prosperous doesn't mean a personal prosperity. Because that's empty anyway. It means that, that he will live for something bigger than himself. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want, I want the delight in the Lord, see something bigger than me, or the wicked are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. So we need to be intentional. What do you want to be your source for truth? I mean, the news? Your friend, Oprah? I mean, you know. People are like, oh, that's crazy. You believe the Bible? I'm willing to listen to something better. Give me your hypotheses. If it, was the, if it was Christians who said, okay, so there was nothing, then there was a big bang, and then there was everything, the scientists would go, you guys are crazy. But the scientists say that, and everybody goes, yeah, that makes sense. I've heard some scientists, legit scientists, well, there was a spaceship, or there was a comet, and the comet had pieces of life that brought it to earth so to explain the problem, you've literally made it more complicated, and you're the expert. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to be here with this, which it's proven itself day by day, second by second, to be more believable and more worthy of my faith and trust than anything and anyone ever. And I can't convince you that in your head, but God can convince you that in your heart. See, I stopped I saw debating. You know, I'll have discussions. I love that stuff, but that's not the power. If you and I have a debate and I win the debate, that doesn't mean anything. 
in terms of your soul and your condition before God. Because I've had conversations where it went really well and the person left his five. I've had conversations where every objective somebody had, I was able to answer and they still. <laughs> and then I've had conversations where I just felt, man, they're just wrestling with this so much. And then the Lord just, just intervened in such a way that the heart was softened and somebody said, I get it. I was holding on to this and this and I was angry about this and I was resistant toward this, but I get it. You see, encountering Jesus isn't just like this sense of this new idea is true. It's a sense of coming home to a father. It's a sense of, this is what I've always longed for. This relationship is what I've been created for. This is the the ultimate fulfillment. More than my spouse or my parent or my child or my best friend. This is something special. That's what an encounter with Jesus is. So look around. How are you being influenced? Because we either choose self, we either walk in the flesh, we either default to the world, we either hit autopilot, thank God in Christ he's rescued us, or we actively are aware of our surroundings. And so it's interesting that we note sort of the stages of sinful influence, sinful influence. And we can kind of read through this and I think kind of miss this. But first it says walking in the counsel of the ungodly. And then that word walk, that speaks of what? It speaks of the direction you're going in. Look, that's important. I forgot who it was, one of those sports guys. I don't even know. I should never use sports references. But, you know, if you, don't, if you don't care where you're going to go anyway, we'll get you there, that kind of thing. Was that like Alice in Wonderland or a sports guy? I don't even know, but whatever. Good quote. Right? So you don't stop and ask the question, what direction are you going in? Then what are you doing? What are your life's about? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I wake up today and, you know, I don't know. Well, you, you're going to get there. <laughs> if you have no plans for today, that's, that's going to happen. Enjoy. Walking. It speaks of the direction. It's active. You can be walking in a direction, and you can stop and walk in another direction. That's what's cool about that. Some of us are like, yeah, I've been walking in this direction. I don't know. I don't even like it. But my father walked in this direction. My mother walked in this direction. I've been doing it for 40 years. So I'm going to keep walking in this direction. And everybody in life is going, yeah, no. No, just can, you, can we stop, turn around? Can we walk in this direction now? Have we asked those questions? Have we looked at things in our lives and be like, is this something that the Lord wants me to embrace and continue to pursue? Or should should I walk away from this? Which direction are you going in? Like I said, sometimes we know which direction we're going in and we reassure ourselves, well, I'm going in the direction Jesus wants me, but we think we have a shortcut. My shortcuts have always tripled the time I thought it would take. The worst shortcuts in the world. Turn from ungodly counsel. Don't go in that direction. We think the word repent means I feel bad. No, repent means you're walking one way, pursuing one thing. There was one thing. You were in charge of your life. You were your own God. And now none of those things are the case anymore. Now he's God. Now you're walking a different way. Now you're going in a different direction. Now you're seeking different counsel. You know how many people start their day by reading their horoscope? That's the counsel they get for the day. The, I don't even know. I can't even think of an example, but just pick some, I don't know, some dumb thing. You're going to have coffee with a Smurf today, whatever. Oh, my whole day today, my horoscope told me, I'm looking. I mean, there's going to be a Smurf, and we're going to have coffee, and I believe it. Oh, okay, that's good. Some people will consult psychics. They'll consult people they heard on TV. Some folks will listen to a talk, so- talk show. Some folks will buy a magazine. People call their friends. And you, you know, like, you know, you have the friends that will give you good advice, and you have the friends that will just say yes to any stupid thing you can come up with. And so I don't know about you. I mean, fortunately, you know, it's been, it's been a long time since I've sought to do this. But I used to be like, all right, this is what I think I want to do. I'm going to seek counsel. I'm going to call the biggest knucklehead I can think of. <laughs> be like, hey, what do you think of this idea? I think it's awesome, dude. Sounds good. All right, thanks. Yeah, that's 
that's good counsel. See, we're called to live different, and the live different is better. It's a better way. I can try to preach and teach and tell you that all day, but you're not going to know that unless you experience it. You're not going to know that unless you taste and see that the Lord is good. I can tell you how good it is. And some people, that's where they stop. You know, I want to be a Christian because all those people, it seems to look good to them. And, every, and that's good. That's the light of Christ. That should be invitational. That's important. But, but it's not. You don't, you don't become a Christian so you can look at everybody else's walk and admire that from a distance. Man, that guy, look at that cake. He's, that's awesome. Look at that. It's good cake. I want to watch him eat that cake. He tells me that's good, delicious cake. I'm going to hang out. No, taste and see. For yourself, have your own experience. You're not going to minister out of the abundance of somebody else's experience. Hopefully, you're encouraged and motivated by the word of God. You're encouraged and motivating by teaching and preaching by godly men and women. But the thing is, that's not what's going what's to do it for you. It's an encounter with Jesus. We're not called to stand on the sidelines and criticize a bunch of people who are drowning because they don't know how to swim. We're called to jump in and rescue them. And instead we say, look how they struggle. This guy, he's not know how to swim. What is this? I know how to swim. Hey, I can swim. Hey, watch me. I tried. I mean, I told him the right thing, and, you know, I don't know. He doesn't want to listen. He's drowning, but, you know, let him drown. Must be, you know. I mean, it sounds so stupid. But in my life, it's been like that at times. That's not what it's about. We're called to jump in the water to rescue and assist and to introduce them to the one true life preserver, Jesus Christ. We're called to engage in a culture without mimicking them. We're not called to judge or indict. In the Bible, judgment in the sense of calling out sin is to others in the church. It's amongst believers. I'm, don't say, I'm never saying don't call sin, sin. I'm never saying you change your definition of what sin is. That is clear. It's, we don't define that. It's not our positions. It's our posture. And first, the very first question is, in my life, where am I getting my counsel? Which way are my walking? Because if my heart isn't right, then I need to stop and make sure that that's right. Uh, I think it was last night, Amelia was asking me, you know, in the scripture where it says, you know, if you're, if you're about to make your, your offering and your sacrifice and you realize you sinned against your brother, you go and take care of that first. And she said, what does that look like in our context? I said, it means the condition of your heart before God is more important than the religious stuff you do. That's what it means. It means before you start to say, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to go to youth group, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to do all the things I should do, I'm going to serve, I'm going to say, Lord... Is my heart right before you? Have I, do I have this, this bit, and I'm not saying that means every relationship's perfect. That means, Paul says, insofar as it's possible, as much as you're able to, live at peace. That means, do I have any bitterness or unforgiveness or hatred or anger in my heart? Because I can't come and be like, I'm worshiping you, Lord. I'm, I'm sacrificing to you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the religious stuff, Lord, but I hate that guy. Doesn't work like that. See, with Jesus' yoke, you get gentler. You get more humble. You look around, and your heart breaks for the condition of the world and your neighbors and yourself. My heart breaks for how much I still want to pursue the, the things that the world has, even though I know better. My heart, my heart breaks. Lord, I just want to know you more. I want to pursue you more. Help me with every breath to pursue you because everything else is going to leave me empty and dead inside. Your spouse, 
is not your God. Your child is not your God. Your career and your reputation is not your God. Jesus alone belongs in that position in your heart. And you don't get to go out. You don't get to do the ministry part well if you, don't, if you neglect your relationship with Jesus. And if you're, you know, sometimes we, we spend time, you know, de- and devoting and reading the Bible and we're, we're looking up and the Lord's trying to show us stuff and we read the word or we read a devotion and we're like, I know who this applies to. You ever do that? You read devotion and you think, I can't wait to call my neighbor who just was struggling with this very thing and I can't wait to say how it applies directly. And I'm not saying there's not a place for that. But if 90% of the time you read the Bible and you got somebody in your mind it applies to, yeah, you're missing it. Yeah, you might be doing that up with God good, but that inner, that, that looking at your own stuff, you know when you're really frustrated by somebody or something? I mean, my wife, you know, thank God for my wife, gets pointed out. I say, man, I can't stand that guy. What are you talking about? You're just like that. She says it all the time. You don't like that because you do that. It's like, honey, shut up. Stop, stop. Say that. What do you mean? Jesus didn't, didn't die for our past sins so that those things can still control us. We can't be passive. We are being sanctified. And John Piper said, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who would go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who would go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Jesus didn't save you and set you free and put you on a path and begin to sanctify you so that you can pursue all the things you are pursuing with a nice big Jesus stamp on it. I would seriously question whether I was a Christian if I didn't want to know more of Christ. And so the next step it says, standing in the way of sinners. So now we, we've went from actively moving in a direction that we've defined to now we're becoming a little more passive. Now we're a little less resistant. Now we can still begin to walk in a direction again, but now it's going to take a little more action. Now we're not actively walking. We've kind of rested a little bit. We're a little bit comfortable. As we go in direction of seeking advice from the, uh, from the ungodly, as we move from consulting the ungodly to identifying with the ungodly, now it's no longer just, well, the, you know, this is where I'm, I'm seeking, you know, my truth and information. Now it's, this is the group I identify with. I'm no longer just walking through culture, but I've stood as a part. First, we walk. The ungodly, we listen to what they say. Now we don't walk back to where we should be. Now instead, we begin to stand where they stand. We identify with their position. The only position in your life that's worth having is God's position. That's the only one ever. You want to know what you think about something? What does God think about it? Everything else you must dismiss. The world is changing. Cultures like shifting sand. Popular opinion changes. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. If you want my opinion on things, you can ask me and I'll give them to you. But that's all they are. Worthless opinions. I've taught and I've said, or I could be totally wrong. Other than this. This is the authority. Piper again, my feelings are not God. God is God. My feelings do not define truth. God's word defines truth. My feelings are echoes and they are responses to what my mind perceives. And sometimes, many times, my feelings are out of sync with truth. 
And when that happens, and it happens every day in some measure, I must try not to bend the truth to justify my imperfect feelings, but rather I must plead with God to purify my perceptions of your truth and transform my feelings so that they're in sync with that. You see, it's all about Jesus. He alone is our Savior. He alone should be our Lord. The truths, the truth is that Jesus died for you, is that Jesus lives in you. Jesus has set you free. Jesus loves you. And Jesus invites you to obey him. And Jesus invites you to follow him because God wants you and I to be like Jesus. But if he's not properly on the throne, then something else is. Our own thoughts, our own opinions, and those things don't change who God is. Christianity is not so much about inviting Jesus into your life. I think Chan was the one who said that or something similar. It's about Jesus inviting you into his life. It's a change of leadership, him living through you. Jesus is Lord. And finally, sitting in the seat of the scornful. You see the progression. You're, st- you're walking, and then you're standing, and then you're sitting. It speaks of a resting place. It speaks of, I've now landed where I'm comfortable. First I was passing, passing through. I was listening. I was, I was determining. Uh, you know, I had more of an impetus to continue in one direction or the other. I was active, and then I became passive. Then I began to stand. Then I began to align and identify. And then finally... I'm just sitting now. I got my feet up on the couch. You know, this is, this is, this is comfortable now, right? Now I'm, I'm less sensitive to, to the truth because I'm so, you know, desensitized. I'm so cold. First we're walking around on God, ungodly counsel. Then we're standing around ungodly counsel. And finally we're adopting that for our own and now we're giving ungodly counsel. Because if God's word doesn't determine your view, then something else does. Christians, don't sit down and take your seat among the scornful. Don't rest with those mocking. Don't embrace ungodliness and join in criticism and rebellion against everything that's godly. You notice how angry some people get? Like, I mean, if there's no God, you should just be indifferent to it. You know how many books are written to convince people there's no Jesus? What do you? I mean, if that's your position, that's okay, that's fine. Have academic discussion. But it's like this, you know, I, I read all kind of academic stuff. I read all kind of debates. And a lot, you know, not all. I mean, they used to be good atheists, I say. Now they're kind of clowns, but whatever. But you read about it, and it's more like, and the church did this to me, and I'm angry about this. It's like, bro, I thought you were an academic. I thought they were supposed to be philosophical. You're telling me how Christians treated you bad, so that speaks to whether Jesus is real? What? That's not academic. And that's what happens. I'm in it. I'm reading it. It's true. I'm not, this isn't my opinion. Like, let's have intelligent debate, but your feelings don't dictate. Well, somebody hurt me one day, and so, all right, that's cool. It's a wound. I get it. And you know what God's saying to you? I know you're wounded, and I want to heal your wound. And and people are going, well, no. No, I don't want you to heal my wound because I don't believe you're, you're real. And God's going, all right, well, let me know when the wound gets bad enough. Look around. Ask yourself the question, how are you being influenced? Social media, TV have helped make us a nation of cynics. You know why they spend billions of dollars on advertising? Because it works. You know, it's that, you need this. Oh, do I? Okay, let me buy it. This is going to make you look better. This is going to make you feel, oh, is it? Okay, let me buy it. But Christians, we, we know, right? Why are they spending billions of dollars? You think the billions of dollars, you think people that believe in God, they're not influenced, it's just everybody else? I remember, I think it was, I don't know, even, it doesn't even matter who it was. One of the, some pastors said one time, I wonder what I'd buy if I didn't know what everybody else had. <laughs> think about that, right? Well, he has that. I like that. That's pretty cool. Let me, how much was that? I'll get one of those too. Well, we have an opportunity to buy wells for families that are, well, you know, I was, 
I was going to give you like 50 bucks for the well, but I just spent like five grand on whatever. We're influenced by what we see. It's affecting us. Just be aware that it's affecting you. Our godly influence. The blessed man. The person who makes the most of their walk with God will surround themselves with godly influence. And they do that primarily by delighting in the word of God. And you can only come to delight in the word of God because you found delight in Jesus. Peter, 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I love that. I love that whole sermon. I, I mean, that whole scripture. I could. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you've experienced and embraced his kindness in your life, then crave the same way. You look at a baby, they're crying, they're a disaster, they're, you know, they're, you know, snotting all over themselves. The whole world is in chaos. And what happens? You start to give them milk and everything is perfect. The one, right, right, Ashton's, right? The one thing they long for. There's nothing else. There's no other care in the world. What happens when a baby needs milk? The baby needs milk. It doesn't need anything else. And when it has that milk, you look at it and go, it's happy. It's content. It's peaceful. It's perfect. You know how much time I spent either watching my kids, you know, usually sleeping, you know, pray at night when they were younger and just sitting there watching these babies sleep with that contentment. You know, and I've said, I've said you know, I used to pray. I'd be like, God, it's hard to believe there's a heaven for a guy like me. But when I look at those babies, you know, when you, makes makes you believe, right? Your appetite for the Lord and his word will become dull when you've tasted too much of the world. When you've been convinced that if I only had a little bit more, that somehow everything would be okay inside me. And so you get back into his word. You keep allowing it to speak to you. You pray and you ask the Lord to give you a hunger. And you say, Jesus, I really don't want to. I'm really struggling. I'm really having a tough time believing your yoke is easy. But put it on me and help me wear it well. And it's not enough to just read words from the Bible There must be passages that get so deeply ingrained into our thinking that they shape our thoughts into the mind of Christ. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, therefore I plead with you, therefore I beg of you, church, by the mercies of God. In light of what he has done for you, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not conform anymore to this world. Do not walk and stand and sit with the ungodly, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will of God that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That means it's more than just casually reading through the Bible. That means these are truths that must be internalized. How can you know the will of God if you don't read the word of God? And how are you asking God to unfold big picture stuff when he's like, I asked you you know, to just take one step two years ago. I'm still waiting for that first step. My friend constantly prays this prayer, the tax collector prayer. And I love this prayer. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you ever prayed that prayer? 
you know, because I know a lot of time in my life, I look at people from a distance. Sometimes I would mock them because I knew there was truth. There was, there was something they had that I wanted. But I knew it, was, it, it, couldn't, it couldn't happen for, for, for me. And I would see. And there'd be this, this something. Something there. And we're convinced that we don't deserve. That it's not for us. That God wants to use somebody else. And all God's looking for is people who will look up to heaven and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because that's looking inside. Because that's examining yourself. You know, it doesn't even surprise me anymore when God does what God does. And when Izzy read a moment ago from Isaiah, I looked at Jamie and I was like, I gotta double check right now, but I'm pretty sure that was my closing scripture. Uh, you know, it's like, of course it was. <laughs> Here's the thing. In this world for the believer, this is the only hell you, are, you will ever experience. This is as bad as it gets. And for the unbeliever, this is the only heaven they will ever know. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, and the worship team can be, get ready to close us. We can stand. I'll read this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, walking with God means we look around at what influences us. It means we look inside and see, inside and see who we are becoming. We examine ourselves, but it always involves repentance and surrender and obedience. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart, and with all your soul. And so, Lord, this morning, that's our prayer. Lord, as we close in worshiping you, may each one of us seek you with all of our heart to be transformed by an encounter with you in such a way that we give the rest of our lives to the radical pursuit of your presence, of your power, and of your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Oh, so are you weary and troubled? darkness you see there's light for a
His word. His word shall not fail you. He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. So turn your eyes. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will go straight. Lord, we're really good at gathering and storing information. Father, help us to be better at translating that into application in our life. Help us, Lord, to, to allow the words that we've heard today here, God, to penetrate our hearts and our minds and impact our lives. To not just leave here and say, you know, that was a pretty good word. Some of that stuff was a little tough, or I'm not ready for that yet. Help us to rise up to the challenge, to the life that you're calling us to. Father, to see that it's each and every one of us that you're speaking to, God, not just those who've been doing this longer or who are more radical than we are. God, you're calling us into a deeper relationship with you. And so, Father, I'm asking you now to really grab hold of our hearts, Lord, Moving us in a way that you've never moved in us before, God. As a church, as a people, and even as individuals, God, really help us, Lord, to tackle and take on the things that we've been holding on to or avoiding addressing in our lives. That's where you want to do the good work. I think about, you know, as... as Bartimaeus lay there on the side of the road blind. He just knew Jesus was passing by. And this was his opportunity. And so when we, when we read the scripture, we hear the scripture, seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, while he's near, God, Bartimaeus knew that his only hope was Jesus to be free from the struggles and the chains that bound him, Lord. And that goes for us too. So I pray right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that as Jesus is passing by, as we hear this message, as we know he is near, God, God, that we would cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Help us, Lord, to let go of all the things that have kept us blind and hungry and poor on the side of that road, the things that have bound us up for so long, God. Help us to be bold, not caring what anyone else says or thinks about us, but to turn our lives and our eyes over to you, God, to give up everything, God, for the sake of your glory and for the life and the promise of abundance that you've called us to. Lord, that's what this is all about. It's not just some pastor or some deacon or elder that's supposed to respond in a radical way, God. It's each of us. 
promised us so much more, immeasurably more. And Lord, those of us who are chasing and pursuing you have seen that over and over again, immeasurably more. We wish we could give that freedom and those answers to those who are struggling and searching, God. But Father, it's right here in those pages that Pastor read today. You are the answer, God. Lord, I love you. We love you. And we trust you. So I ask you now, as we walk out these doors, prepare our steps, God. You're going to align some encounters, and there's even going to be temptation that comes our way. And so, Lord, our job is to be ready. It's not to be reactive, but, Lord, to respond with a prepared response. One that honors and glorifies you and brings us closer to you, Lord, as we minister to others and show them what life in Christ looks like. Pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name, God. Have your way. Amen. Have a blessed week, everybody. God bless you all.